trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. So glad you could join me today, my fellow wrong thinker. By the way, lines are open at 801-331-8113. And I want to thank our sponsors today, including Jeff Staples Real Estate, the Staples Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and of course, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. Let's dive right in. I, you know, I've deliberately kind of steered clear of the uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, confirmation hearings. Just, well, just just because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of drama, and I'm on a drama free diet, so I'm just kind of staying close, you know, to things that matter more to me than uh, you know. Did you hear what this senator said or what this person said? I know that there's a lot of posturing and whatnot, but something happened, and I just saw this come up on Twitter. And and to me, it illustrated how intellectually bankrupt some people can be in their quest to dominate how other people think and speak. Because if you can control how people think and speak, you can control their ideas. If you can control people's ideas, you can control them. So apparently, uh, in, in a discussion with someone who was questioning her in the confirmation hearings, um, ACB, as we will call her now, misspoke when she said something, I think she used the term sexual preference rather than sexual orientation. Now, why would that be a big deal? Right? Why would that, uh, why would that even matter? Well, it's because if you say that, uh, that it's a preference, that would indicate that somebody could choose whether or not they act on it. And we all know that if it's an orientation, you have no choice or so it goes. Now, just for the record, whether a person has same-sex attraction or not, I don't know if that is something that, that they have firm control over, the attraction. And I say this having talked with a number of gay friends who have said, look, they knew at a very early age that they were attracted to either men or women. You know, they, they just they said they knew. But I want to make a distinction here, and this is at the risk of offending people, especially those who are lying in wait to be offended— The one thing you and I do have absolute control over is whether or not we act upon those appetites. And I know that's an unpopular thing to to point out. Well, this person says, you know, I've known I was attracted to men, you know, since uh, since a very early age. Therefore, you know, I have no choice but to be homosexual. And, And again, I'm not I'm not casting any kind of judgment on on anybody for whatever is going on in their heart and going on in their mind. But, I, but I'm saying the, the behavior, the choice to engage in a particular sexual behavior is that. It is a choice. It's a preference. Meaning people can choose not to if that is in line with their values or their priorities. 
I mean, I don't want to sound pedantic because this this is a deeply personal thing for so many people. And I sure I sure don't want to go imposing, you know, these are the standards that you should should adhere to because I said so. But I'm going to confess something. You probably suspected this all along. Um, I am a confident heterosexual, meaning that I'm attracted to women. I'm attracted to the opposite sex. Have been as long as I can remember. No, seriously, I remember it, you know, five years old. The, the pictures of the, uh, the uh, native women digging yams in Africa in National Geographic were far more interesting to me than the, the photos of, you know, the, the great blue whale or you know, some undersea exploration. I don't know what it was, but it was like, huh, I just really was, was fascinated. Now, having said that, I still find women to be attractive. And that's normal. And any guy who says that he doesn't, you know, think something when he sees an attractive woman, um, you know, is, is lying. But it's what you do with the thought. That's what, what counts. So it's okay to acknowledge. And, you know, I, I try to put this into the best terms possible. Maybe I'm just digging myself into a hole by what I'm saying here. But, you know, when I see a beautiful woman, my thought is, good work, God. <laughs> you did a magnificent job and, you know, you made the world a more beautiful place. And, you know, I understand it's just that superficial outward beauty, but uh, I appreciate it. And I try to appreciate it on, on a level that's not just, you know, heavy breathing. Uh, uh, hi, you know, but you don't have to act on it. And and I know that that runs counter to a lot of, uh, you know, the liberal or the uh uh, liberated thinking that dominates our culture today. You know, sex is casual. It's, you know, they would never shake hands, but by gosh, they'll, you know, throw down in a moment with somebody they met five minutes ago. But you have a choice. You don't have to engage in that behavior. No matter, in other words, no matter what you find is, is attractive or what stirs your passion, it's not written in the stars. You've got to act on it. And this is one of the things that separates the grown-ups from the perpetual adolescents. The perpetual adolescents still believe that, uh, you know, quantity is what's going to de- define the happiness in their life. Um, the adults, or at least the adults that I know, um, learned some time ago, quality. A quality relationship trumps quantity anytime. But there's still a lot of folks out there who, you know, run by that uh, that idea that, hey, whoever sleeps with the most women wins. Come on. We all knew people. We all grew up with people that were like this. So making my way back to my original point here. Now, Democrats have been feigning outrage and falsely claiming that Amy Coney Barrett used an anti-gay slur simply because she referred to sexual preference rather than sexual orientation. And here's the kicker. This is what's so Orwellian. You know, less than a month ago, the online dictionary, Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, defined sexual preference or sexual orientation as, as part of preference. It's only been changed in the last few weeks, like the, the last couple of weeks, as, well, that's an offensive slur. I know they try to stay up on, you know, what's woke and what isn't. But here's the deal. People are moving the, the rhetorical goalposts simply for the reason of I'm offended and I want to be offended and I'm going to find a reason to be offended. And I've got a great piece from Brad Palumbo that uh, just dismantles their argument that, oh, yeah, yeah, she was really out there bashing on gay people. 
She wasn't. And the ones who want to treat it as such, shame on you. You're better than that. All right, let's go to the phone caller. Welcome to the show. Well, God is still merciful, Brian, because as we get older, things still look the same in the dark. (laughs) That that was very eloquently put. (laughs) Okay, anything else you want to add? No, you're doing a fine job. People need to hear the chastity talk once in a while. Okay, well, you know, it's this is a talk that's tough to have with my own kids, let alone with my audience. So I, I really I worry that I've dug myself in deep here, but hey, here uh, we go. You're doing fine, sir. Good okay, work. thank you, and, and thanks for adding to the conversation. Yeah, this is, this is not the birds and bees talk that I intended to start the show with, but... I, I don't like the idea that, that we must, you know, shift the meanings of words, you know, in order for some political advantage. And, and I'm linking to an article again, and this will be in the show notes. You can see this at the Brian This is from Brad Palumbo, published in today's uh, Washington Examiner. Democrats feign outrage and falsely claim Amy Coney Barrett or ACB used an anti-gay slur. Now, Maybe this is obvious. Maybe I'll come off as even worse by pointing out Brad is gay. He's a marvelously talented writer. I I don't mention that to 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 offer anything but perspective that it's not like this is coming from, you know, um, this is not, you know, coming from some uh, youth pastor of a very hardcore evangelical church. This is this is a guy who himself understands what's at stake here. And his message is, this is shameless that people would, would go after her in this way. He says, Judge Amy Coney Barrett is eminently qualified and has come across as articulate and impressive in her Supreme Court confirmation hearings so far. This much is obvious, not just from watching her performance, but from seeing how far critics are having to stretch to try to conjure up reasons to derail her nomination. As one might expect... Barrett was asked about gay marriage and gay rights during Tuesday's hearing. She answered in response that she has never discriminated on the basis of sexual preference and would not discriminate on the basis of sexual preference. Now, she was clearly trying to convey a positive message, but used the word preference when she really meant orientation. And he says this small slip of the tongue is hardly offensive to serious people with real problems. So naturally, the activist left melted down over it you got to see some of the tweets he includes in the article from the uh, Perpetually Outraged. We'll come back. We'll talk some more about this the other side of our break. Call in if you'd like. 801-331-8113. We'll be right back. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. 801-331-8113. Talking about uh, Amy Coney Barrett and uh, her apparent faux pas. By the way, she apologized for, uh, for misspeaking. That's a pretty gracious thing. I don't know. I probably would have been a little more stubborn and maybe dug in my heels. But she apologized for using the term sexual preference as opposed to sexual orientation. I don't think it mattered. The people who wanted to be offended still are offended. In fact, uh, I thought this was funny. Uh, The Babylon Bee, one of the greatest sources of news and and accurate commentary in the world today, uh, had this headline. 
ACB calmly answers questions while typing up appellate court decision and cooking dinner for nine. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, she's, she's pretty good at this. Back to uh, Brad Palumbo's article. He says, in keeping with the gracious and respectful demeanor she has demonstrated throughout the confirmation process so far. Barrett responded by apologizing and clarifying her remarks. Quote, I certainly didn't mean and would never mean to use a term that would cause any offense to the LGBTQ community, Barrett said. So if I did, I greatly apologize for that. I simply meant to be referring to Obergefell's ruling with respect to same-sex marriage. Now, Brad Palumbo says being gay is not a choice. So he says it is more accurate to use the term sexual orientation over sexual preference, although both can be read to convey some degree of choice. Still, a small verbal slip is not an anti-gay hate crime. And the outrageous response to Barrett's words, despite her apology and clarification, is disingenuous. The term sexual preference wasn't considered offensive by just about anyone until the moment she said it. And the liberals thought they had a potent line of attack. He says, don't believe me? Just ask yourself why there was no outrage when Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden used it a few months ago. Yeah, he's got a link in the article. If sexual preference was a slur, an anti-gay dog whistle, surely critics would have spoken out against Biden as well. But they did not. In fact, even the late liberal stalwart Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg used the term as recently as 2017. As Reasons Robbie Suave notes, this term has been wildly, wildly deployed even in gay media outlets without any outrage. Brad Palumbo says reasonable people, whether they share Barrett's ideology or not, ought to dismiss this faux outrage for the partisan smear job that it is. But arguably more disturbing than the smear itself was the way that in Orwellian fashion, politically correct institutions, including the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, tried to silently change the term's definition and act as if it had always been viewed as offensive. He says we should never accept such blatant attempts to twist language to control thought and retroactively condemn speech. As far as left-wing gay activists and Democrats are concerned, if the, if the state of your fight for human rights is reduced to petty squabbling over minor word choice, it's time to move on from your victimhood narrative once and for all. Wow. It's funny, too, because Brad had posted this on Twitter saying, look, I, I wasn't going to engage. I wasn't going to engage. But then he's like, OK, I went ahead and engaged anyway. I'm glad he did. Because I think that's that is a reasonable and right on time. Call back to reality. From those who are just looking for that reason to be offended, offended by anything. I mean, it's so tiresome. How can you dialogue with people when they're constantly moving the rhetorical goal, goalposts? You can't. It's not about having any kind of. Um, meaningful dialogue. It's just about, you know, aha, gotcha, and, and backing you into a corner and then beating you to death with, with, you know, guilt. Not a productive way to do things. All right, I'm going to shift gears. If, you would, if you'd like to comment on that, please feel free, 801-331-8113. By the way, I want to throw out this invitation again, too. I want your feedback. You need to understand, I am not building the largest audience, either in radio or podcast or even even those who read my, my writings. I'm not out to build the biggest audience. I'm out to build the most principled and reasoned audience that I can. 
with the understanding that that's it's probably going to be a pretty small audience. But I'm confident it's going to be people who really care about truth. It's going to be people who are courageous and willing to shine a light in the darkness to help others who are trying to find their way. That means you won't get as many platitudes, uh, but but you will get, as best as I can provide it, straight up truth and and thoughtful commentary that uh, that really emphasizes the importance of thinking for yourself, owning your own worldview. But it helps me to get feedback from you. So if you go to the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com, there is a place you can comment. Please leave your comments at the website. There are there are other ways you can can leave comments. Or you can actually pick up the phone and call me if that's more convenient. Now, that has to take place during the time I'm live on the air, which, uh, you know, for those of you listening at this moment, yes, here we are. 801-331-8113. I do appreciate your input, and I welcome it. All right. Hey, look, the phone just rang. What a coincidence. Hi, welcome to the show. Hadley ho, neighborino. Hello there. Hey, yeah, go ahead. All right, you want me to comment on what you were just talking about? Uh, if you have a take on it, absolutely. What do you think? Okay, lo- okay loving liberty. <laughs> Here's the deal. I mean, the bottom line is these people need to put their money where their mouth is, okay? What does that you mean? All these- okay, so you got all these liberals that, you know, are trying to, uh, you know, Make everybody do this one thing, but yet, for themselves, that's a different level. That's different. I mean, it's almost like Congress giving us Obamacare and them getting a much better package. But guess what, Brian? You and I are both paying for both packages. That's a no-no. And what a privilege it is. Let me so, tell you. I mean, you. you have Nancy Pelosi, or Maxine Waters. Right here's the prime example. Forget what show it was on the other day. The guy running against her in South Los Angeles. She's telling everybody to go destroy everything, riot in the streets. But yet, Maxine has a million, six million dollar mansion fenced in, guarding by guarded by the police that she condemns. I mean, these people are out of their minds. I, I just can't tolerate it no more, and I think it's beyond dialogue at this point now. That's what I'm feeling. It's tough to talk to people who will not talk with you. They'll, they'll talk at you or order you around. I agree. But you don't strike me as the kind of guy who's willing to give up. So I'm, yeah. I'm guessing you're still very much in the fight. Now the question is, okay, so how do we stay in the fight but do something that actually has a positive impact? That's what I'm trying well, to figure out. The fight and be nice to people. I think. How's that sound? That's 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 what I've been finding myself trying to do lately. You know, and uh, you know that's about all you can do. I mean, I, I can't have people want me to live by one rule, but yet they want to live by another rule, and that's just not going to fly. No, I, I think you, you've got to be willing to, to put, you know, you've got to put your foot down and be able to stand firm. I, I really like the idea, and maybe this is too idealistic, but I like the idea of, look, I'm just trying to help people who have discovered they're on a journey 
to to fight their way out of the swamp of misinformation. They don't have to agree with me. I'm just I might be a couple of steps ahead of them, but I'm following the example and I'm following with the help of people who were a few steps ahead of me who left some, you know, needed clues, stacks of rocks, you know, a blazed trail on the trees to help me find my way out. That's how I yeah. approach it. That's a good way to be. I mean, you got to do what you can you do for yourself and try to get these people to uh understand that they're being lied to I, I, right I, I don't know they, they just I, I think they it's like almost like a dopamine getting released in their brain that when they're getting lied to and, and they, they believe this is the truth I think a chemical releases in your brain and it makes you feel good I, I don't know I just I can't understand it keep up the good fight my friend and thanks so much for weighing in we've got to take a break we'll be back in just a moment This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by Jeff Staples Real Estate. Hey, if you are within the sound of my voice in the state of Utah... You need to uh, talk to my friend Jeff. It doesn't matter if you're in northern, southern Utah, out there in the hinterlands, doesn't really matter. He can help you sell your home for more. He can help you buy your home for less. All you have to do is get a hold of him, and the best way to do that is uh, jump on my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. I take care of my sponsors down there at the bottom of the page, and I would encourage you, go to his website, jeffstaplesrealtor.com. There's a link right there at the bottom of the show notes, or you can just cut to the chase, jeffstaplesrealtor.com. He's with ERA Brokers Consolidated. He has people to help him all through the state of Utah. It is your good fortune that it's a hot real estate market right now, and Jeff is the guy who can, can get you through what you need to do, buying or selling a home, and get it done right. jeffstaplesrealtor.com. All right, so this is going to sound a little bit alarmist. It's not supposed to, but uh, let the record show. I've been urging people do this for some time. I've tried not to beat the drum too much because I don't want to be accused of, well, you're trying to incite some kind of panic. But I've been telling people for weeks, there's a lull. It's quiet right now. Look around. The, sh- the, the store shelves are stocked with all the things you need, toilet paper and household cleaners and all these other essential items. I don't know if you've been shopping lately, but uh, the closer we get to the election, I mean, we're like 500 hours from the election (laughs) and people are getting more and more nervous. There's an article from uh, ZeroHedge.com. This was published on LewRockwell.com earlier today. More than half of all Americans plan to stockpile food and other essentials for the chaotic months ahead. Isn't that interesting? That's the headline for the chaotic months ahead. Like, we know it's going to be chaotic. How do we know? I think right now, for most of us, it's just a really strong gut feeling. But it's a gut feeling that almost everybody is having. And so if you've been a bit of a procrastinator or if you uh, haven't been, you know, grabbing an extra case of water when you get the chance, can I please beg you, consider doing so. I'm not telling you the world is going to end. I'm not telling you it's the apocalypse that's upon us. I'm just saying that sick feeling you had in your stomach back in the, in the middle of March 
when you went to the store and you were like, holy crap, where did everything go? Why can't I find the things I'm looking for? It's going to come back and it's going to come back stronger than it was in March. Because people are afraid. And by laying up some stores ahead of time, you're not engaging in hoarding. You're not surrendering to the fear. What you're doing is wisely just putting some aside for a time when you might need it. Look, this is one of those times where I really sincerely hope I'm wrong. I'm hoping that, you know, the election comes and goes and it's a clear cut, you know, uh, decisive election. However, it turns out there's a peaceful transfer of power and, and people accept that. Well, OK, this is it didn't it, one half of the country is going to say didn't go our way this time. We'll work harder for the next election. The other half is going to say, let's come together and let's get work done that needs to be done. I know. It's hard to say it with a straight face. I, I'm I'm not thinking that's that's going to be the likely scenario. I think it, it is likely to get louder and, and perhaps a bit more um, contentious, if if that's possible. Here's what Tyler Durden says in the article from Zero Hedge. He says there was a time when preppers were relentlessly mocked, but nobody's laughing now. Today, most Americans are thinking about stockpiling food and this massive shift in our official mindset has been sparked by concern about what is going to happen in the months ahead. Many Americans believe that another wave of the coronavirus pandemic is coming. Others believe that our ongoing economic depression will get even deeper. And yet others are convinced that the upcoming election could produce widespread violence. Now, of course, there have always been people that have been deeply alarmed about future events. But he says we have never seen anything quite like this. In fact, a brand new survey has found that over half of all Americans are currently planning to stockpile food and other essentials. Here's a quote from the from the survey. Slightly more than half of Americans in a recent poll from Sports and Leisure Research Group say they already have or plan to stockpile food and other essentials. The chief reason? Fears of a resurgent pandemic, which could lead to disruptions such as new restrictions on businesses. On October 2nd, the number of COVID-19 cases in the USA was its highest in almost two months. Now, Zero Hedge says people still remember the shortages we witnessed earlier this year when the coronavirus pandemic first erupted in this country. And those that ended up being stuck at home without enough toilet paper would rather not repeat that experience. So as the mainstream media continues to hype a new wave of the pandemic, Tyler Durden says we should expect to see Americans hitting the grocery stores really hard. And according to data company Evanest, is that right? Invest Yodley, there is evidence that this is already happening. They say already there's some evidence that grocery sales are rising, according to data from industry sources. The typical bill for a trip to the grocery store rose to $72 for the week ended October 6th, or 11% higher than the week before. That's the highest we've seen since the first week of June and the second highest since we started tracking this in January. That's according to Bill Parsons, group president of data and analytics at Evest Nest. Now, fortunately, many grocery store chains anticipated this spike in demand. They started stocking up ahead of time. This comes from CNN. Grocery stores across the United States are stocking up on products to avoid shortages during a second wave of coronavirus. Household products, including paper towels and Clorox wipes, have been difficult to find at times during the pandemic. And if grocery stores aren't stocked up and prepared for a second wave this winter, runs on products and shortages 
could happen again. Now, Tyler Durden says, during a time when other retailers all over the nation are failing at a pace that we've never seen before, many grocery store chains are actually experiencing booming sales. And of course, he says, I've been warning that this would eventually happen for a very long time. During a time of crisis, demand for food and other essentials tends to go up and demand for non-essential items tends to go down. So needless to say, this is something that's not just happening in the U.S. All over the world, we have seen demand for food on the rise. And this comes at a time when global food production has become increasingly stressed. As a result, food prices all over the world are starting to escalate quite aggressively. Food prices continue rising during the coronavirus pandemic, jeopardizing food security for tens of millions worldwide. On Thursday, the Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO of the United Nations, says worldwide food prices rose for the fourth consecutive month in September, led by surging prices for cereals and vegetable oils, reported Reuters. FAO's food price index, which tracks the international prices of the top traded food commodities, cereals, oil seeds, dairy products, meat and sugar, averaged 97.9 in September versus a downwardly revised 95.9 in August. Now, if you remember nothing else from this, this is what you need to remember. This is just the beginning. This is not to scare you. This is not to incite fear or panic. But global food supplies will continue to get tighter, says Tyler Durden, and global demand for food will continue to shoot higher. And so he says, I would stock up while you still can, because prices will never be lower than they are right now. Meanwhile... Our society continues to unravel right in front of our eyes. You would think that the Lakers winning the NBA title would be a time to celebrate for the city of Los Angeles. Instead, large crowds of young people used it as an opportunity to riot and attack police officers. A crowd of more than a thousand revelers descended into the area around Staples Center after the game. Unruly individuals mixed with the crowd and began throwing glass bottles, rocks and other projectiles at officers. That's when an unlawful assembly was declared, and a limited number of people complied and began to disperse, but a larger portion of the group broke off and began vandalizing businesses while continuing to engage in violent behavior, some aimed at responding officers. In Portland, protesters toppled statues of Teddy Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln during a day of rage, but the mainstream media didn't seem to think that was any sort of a problem. And in the middle of the country, the violence never seems to stop in the city of Chicago. Five people killed, 48 others injured by gunfire this weekend in Chicago. Five of those wounded were teenagers. Last week saw 37 people shot throughout the city, five of them fatally. The point here is things could get a whole lot worse. According to one recent survey, 56% of all Americans expect an increase in violence as a result of the election. Isn't that incredibly sad? Now, many are still hoping that such a scenario could be avoided if one of the candidates is able to build an extremely large lead on election night. A large enough lead could potentially cause the candidate that's behind to concede fairly quickly, and that might ease tensions. But Tyler Durden says, I wouldn't count on that. We're 500 hours away from the election, and both sides are indicating they are prepared to fight until the end. And the side that ultimately ends up losing is likely to throw a massive temper tantrum. And that won't be good for our country at all. So... Make preparations for the months that are ahead because it appears it could get rocky.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. Hey, join the conversation, 801-331-8113. Okay, so there's been a lot of weird stuff that has uh, kind of become, I wouldn't say the normal, but it's at least become commonplace this year, right? Masks, social distancing, um, there's, there's more. People looking, looking at each other as if, as if everybody around you is sick. <sighs> it's been a strange year. But you know what one of the weirdest side effects of COVID-19 has been? Wouldn't have seen this one coming. COVID has ushered in a boom in the freezing of human eggs. And there's a great article by Ann Farmer on intellectualtakeout.org. I just thought this was really fascinating. I mean, look, during scary times, right, don't people have conversations like, well, this is no time to bring a child into the world. But this seems to go considerably beyond that. Ann Farmer writes, the coronavirus has reportedly driven a surge of interest in egg freezing with the difficulty of dating during the pandemic, prompting women to consider their options. Some clinics have seen inquiries jumping by 50% over the summer. The owner of the London Women's Clinic, Dr. Kamal Ahuja, explained uncertainty creates anxiety and also thinking, if I have time now, who knows what will happen next year, so I might as well do it now. She writes, the ill wind of COVID has certainly blown more cash in the direction of the already booming reproductive technology industry, which thrives on uncertainty and anxiety, despite the risks involved to women and the uncertain success rate. Now, despite such factors, there have been calls for the 10-year limit on storing frozen eggs to be extended. Although the Newfield Council on Bioethics, which supported a relaxation of the 10-year rule, warned that clear information and research was needed around egg freezing as an employment benefit. Apparently, this is something that's offered by some companies in the UK. I had no idea there was even a 10-year rule. Wow. Ann Farmer writes, while social egg freezing, or SEF, as an employment benefit, might be seen as a workplace gender equalizer with positive effects on women's salaries, such benefits might also push women to delay motherhood to show commitment to their career in a manner not required of male employees. The greatest risk attached to egg freezing is encouraging women to put off having a family until it's biologically too late. According to a professor of reproductive science at University College London, Professor Joyce Harper says the majority of women who freeze their eggs on all the studies so far are single. And when they've been asked, most of them want to have children now, but they just haven't met Mr. Wright or they haven't got a partner who's happy to have children. But Ann Farmer says thanks to the pandemic, the chances of meeting the right person have pretty much gone right out the window. According to Professor Gita Nargund, a consultant fertility specialist, medical director of Create Fertility and lead consultant for reproductive medicine at St. George's Hospital National Health Service Trust in London, removing obstacles to egg freezing is apparently something of a feminist issue. Unfortunately for this woman-friendly narrative, the women's lib of the 1970s was a reaction to the male sexism of the sexual revolution of the 1960s. But the feminist demand for the right to be available to every man without any strings attached liberated libertarian men, not women, 
For those who embraced it, the chances of embracing Mr. Wright really did go out the window, along with the wedding ring and the lifelong commitment. Interesting. So the sexual revolution, instead of liberating women, broke the solidarity of women. Up until then, it would have been regarded not as a sign of liberation, but treachery to steal another woman's partner. Dating was not a euphemism for having sex and possibly procreating. Abortion was seen as a tragedy rather than something to shout about. Single motherhood was not seen as an aspiration, but as something to be pitied and avoided at all costs. Sadly, young women or young students of women's studies are now given the impression that historically the vast majority of women were downtrodden drudges, held hostage in the kitchen by the institutionalized misogyny of marriage and the tyranny of the womb, in which case academe has yet to explain the mysterious growth and popularity of shops. And if the modern feminist could be transported back in time to instruct said females on their downtrodden status and came face to face with one of the redoubtable army of housewives then in existence... The ability to run very fast while covering the ears would be a definite asset, says Ann, Hunter, Ann Farmer. Rather, Given the uh, consequent fall of the birth rate and the rise of reproductive technologies industry, which uh, eugenically screens the embryos they create, as well as libertarian men, the other major beneficiary of the sexual revolution has been the eugenics population control movement. Interesting. She says the wholesale wrecking of trust between men and women was a massive boost for the infertility industry, which actually creates infertility by holding out the often false hope of having children later, but very often too late. Many young women encouraged to prioritize their education and their career are what used to be described as left on the shelf, encouraged in school sex education lessons to have sex without strings, and then they wonder why all the men they sleep with seem to have no desire for a lasting, committed relationship. However, the rise in interest in egg freezing has inadvertently demonstrated that women still want children, despite the propaganda of the abortion campaign. They demanded that abortion pills be sent through the post owing to the pandemic, totally disregarding the danger that the women being seen over the phone might not have a partner who's happy to have children, but someone who's pushing them to have an abortion. Maybe that explains why the number of abortions apparently rocketed during the lockdown. Ann Farmer says, now shacked up with Mr. Wrong with no life partner and with no children and thus no prospect of grandchildren in the future, more and more women will only have the memories of their home abortions and their frozen eggs to comfort them. And she says, cold comfort indeed. I mean, that's that's kind of sad. I'm trying to choose my words really carefully here because not everybody is in a, a perfect situation. Not everybody's in a situation where, oh, yes, we've got a loving family and, you know, all the support we need to get us through tough times. But I'll tell you what, if you find yourself in that situation, uh, maybe you should take just a moment and thank God or thank the universe that you are in that situation. I'm not suggesting that those who are, you know, the product of, you know, a single parent household or those who are single and unmarried, you know, that somehow, you know, sucks to be them. But I think I can honestly say that uh, with all the uncertainty that this year has brought out, with all the uncertainty that's been foisted upon us, that uh, commitment to family has never been more clear in my mind. And it's probably largely because of the enforced separation. You know, my mom is elderly. 
she's at a she's at a very high risk demographic when it comes to COVID-19. My sisters and I talk and we're like, you know, we love her. We want to be around her. But none of us wants to be the one who, you know, accidentally brings a, a virus into her life that ultimately could uh, could do her harm. And I'll confess, one of the toughest things that I am learning to deal with, and I'm not dealing with it well, is sitting back and watching the effects of loneliness take their toll on my mom. You know, it's, it's, not, that it, it's not that it's not heart-wrenching. It's, it is heart-wrenching, but it makes me so angry. Part of that's because I'm, I'm really not sure how to proceed. Do we throw caution to the wind? Do we go ahead and just, you know, continually travel back and forth and um, not knowing? Have we come in contact with someone who, you know, may have been exposed or infected? I mean, there's risk in everything. But I think I would honestly rather take that risk than just leave her to, uh, you know, wait for the phone to ring. And we do. We call her regularly. But people need that face-to-face contact, they need that reassurance that uh, that they matter. Sorry, this this took a kind of somber turn. <laughs> I wish I wish I had something really happy to tell you, you know, to put a smile on your face as I wrap things up here. But um, can I just offer some some heartfelt, uh, not advice, but an, a heartfelt observation? None of us knows. How much time we're going to have with a loved one. We just don't. We take it for granted. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get up there. I'll be there. You know, I'll get up there sometime next month or next week or whenever. Nobody's guaranteed that. Sometimes things happen out of the blue and suddenly the the person we took for granted is gone. And this year should be teaching us uh, in, in very largely written script. There are some things we just can't take for granted. So maybe uh, maybe this is a good time for all all of us to prioritize. You know, where where are the most valuable things in our lives? This year has already made it pretty clear to me. It ain't stuff. Stuff is nice, but it doesn't take the place of uh, a family. Anything we can do to strengthen those bonds, I think, is time and effort well spent. Even better than politics. What do you think of that? This is The Brian Hyde Show.